Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to Basics. My special guest for you today is Dr. Michael Baston, who is the president of Rockland Community College, or RCC, which is located in the historic and scenic Hudson Valley, about 25 miles away from beautiful New York City. I'm humbled that he accepted the invitation to come chat with us because he's truly an authority in the academia world and as such has been featured countless times in nationwide media platforms such as MSNBC, USA Today, and, and you get you get the idea of those big names. Uh, his accolades are just um, too long to name them all. So I much rather say welcome, Dr. Baston, and let's get this started. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for inviting me to be with you today. And I really appreciate the opportunity to share my journey with you and your listeners. Well, I'm super excited because it's not every day that uh, that you have someone, uh, uh, you know, of your stature, a president of a community college, which is also a very, very important job. And we'll get into that. And, uh, you know, but I'm always uh, the curious being that I am. I always want to start learning about you as a child. What were your dreams? Where were you, you know, where did you grow up? Tell me, give me all the goodies on that front. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was born uh, and raised in Jamaica, Queens. Uh, my mother and father were high school sweethearts oh. uh, at Long Island City High School. They were like sort of uh, 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 star-crossed lovers, if you will, because my father was from uh, Queensbridge Projects. My mother was from Ravenswood Projects, sort of like Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> uh, but they met at the local high school and started dating at 14 and 15 and, and uh, graduated high school, of course, and later on got married and, and had me. Wow. Uh, so so that, that already there gives you like a very, you know, I wouldn't say unique, but definitely amazing start that your parents were, were uh, <laughs> probably first boyfriend and girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, you know, so I say that also to say that, you know, I was raised in that kind of loving environment. Uh, my, my parents were babies that had a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, and they took such good care to make sure that I could have every advantage uh, to try to become what I was meant to be. My father was at Queensborough Community College uh, when he and my mom got pregnant with me. So he had to leave uh, college. He left the community college to go and begin to work to take care of the family and wasn't able to return. And so now I'm a community college president and mm -hmm. I get to look at those who may be in that same situation and say, you know, 40 something years ago, my dad had to make a choice that you don't have to make because we're going to find a way to make sure that you're able to maintain your family obligations and everything and 
uh, move forward in your goal uh, for your degree and your, you know, the life goals that you have. So I'm very, very blessed. Uh, that's how I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Uh, very nice uh, community. I grew up in Rochdale Village. And it's a cooperative, so uh, it's it's sort of a, a Michelama co-op in Queens. And so families who wanted to get their start could actually come into uh, the co-op and actually begin to work together. And so we had gardens where people would farm together. We had, you know, so I grew up in the spirit of sort of collective action and cooperative work. And that grew up in me throughout my journey. I love that. And uh, and um, as, as you grew up, did you ever visualize like what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you have a goal or it kind of took you where it took you? I want to know it's more. It's interesting. But... My goal when I was eight years old was to become the president of the United States. Oh, that wow. was my goal. Okay, that's uh, great. I wanted to be president. And I said to my mother, I always watched the news with my mother, even as a small child, my mother would say, you know, you started reading the newspaper at three because you saw me reading the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I watched sort of a debate in the um, 1980 between Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. And I was sitting with my mother and watching the debate. And I'm a child now. And, uh, and she, you know, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to be president listening to them. I want to be president. And my mother said, well, you certainly can be that, uh, but you have to go to high school and you've got to go to college and you got to go to law school. And, but, if you, but I know you can do it. Well, because my mother planted the seed of expectation and hope in me at that early age, because she said I could do it, because she uh, told me she believed it actually allowed that seed to grow in me that I could believe it as well. And so I did go to high school and I did go to college and I did go to law school. Uh, and today, while I'm not president of the United States, I am president of a college. Well, but you can still be. You're quite young. So, I mean, I said I will plant that seed. You sound like you could be a great president. So um, I think that you have enough road ahead of you to to, to still do that. Well, that that's great. So you went into law school. Did you, were you, you know, like convinced to practice law in that form or how did you end up becoming the president of uh, Rockland Community College? Well, I started in my legal career. I did practice law for a bit. I represented educational corporations, religious institutions, and nonprofit organizations. And I spent my years in law school really interning and understanding the kinds of things that I were, was passionate about. So I worked with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. I worked with Brooklyn Legal Services Corporation A to help establish tenant corporations and other nonprofits to support people in the community. Uh, I worked with the Center for Constitutional Rights to address, at the time, the burning of the churches that were happening in the South as part of a, a coalition. I became a mediator through the Brooklyn Mediation Center. So I spent a lot of my time while I was in law school really developing a desire for public interest and how you could help people. Uh, and so then I started to represent, as I said, educational corporations and religious institutions and nonprofits. And then that work with sort of those academic clients from the legal perspective allowed me to do some teaching. 
and I fell in love with working with students uh, in the classroom. So I was teaching paralegal studies, business law, those kinds of courses. And I really enjoyed that environment. It actually gave me life. Uh, and, and so while I loved practicing law, I, I felt like I could contribute to people making a path for themselves, setting goals for themselves, and actually giving them education as that torch to their own liberation, that they could carry it into dark places and see what was around them so that they could move forward. And so through the years, you know, I continued to have progressive experiences. I was the dean of students. I, I was a vice president of student affairs. So those are the programs that provide all those wraparound services to help students navigate the difficulties of college. I was still teaching, you know, in the paralegal programs and in the business programs. Uh, and most recently here, three years ago, I had the good fortune of coming to Rockland Community College to serve as its president. And I am thoroughly enjoying the opportunity to light the torch for other students who I believe as we send them out of our institution, they will illuminate the path and light the torches of others so that this whole world will be brighter and better. Oh, I'm telling you, you can definitely run for president. <laughs> I would vote for you. <laughs> um, I just, uh, I mean, the fact that you say that, that you took those years early in your career to to understanding the kind of things that you were passionate about, I think that's that's really what this podcast is about. Like, I definitely want to talk to people and, and you talk to people that are later in their career and they're facing maybe through COVID or through other circumstances, a major change, a disruption that it's really forcing them to look into what they're doing. But also you have people that very early on, they were connected with that passion and they and then they opened the road, let's say, more easier, easier in a way than others to get to that ultimate life fulfillment that you describe when you say I fell in love with teaching. I think that's something that that not many people can say about their jobs and, and how fortunate you are. And it just your energy is contagious and it, and it shows Ah, thank you so much. No, it's great because I also recently uh, I bumped into an article you wrote, which I will put in your, in our in our show notes. Uh, it's called "Hard Realities, High Hopes: Reimagining Hudson Valley." Of course, that that's where you are. But in the article, you go on very important subjects. Obviously, we have you know the diversity inclusion subject that it's uh, very important and it should be dear and worrisome to all of us. We shouldn't yes. even be having a discussion about if this is a relevant subject or not. So and, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate on the on the women's side and because I'm in a male-dominated industry, like I try to push that torch, but I definitely, you know, I'm originally from Venezuela and uh, mm. I've been here for 24 years. But one of the things I tell people all the time, and obviously we're not going to make this about racism, that where I come from, I never noticed the difference of skin. You know, it's so interesting. Mm. Like we have all spectrum of colors and my parents were immigrants. They were Italian. They are Italian and they went to Venezuela. So technically I wasn't even a Venezuelan, but for other people, I was the Italian or the <laughs> mafiosa. They call me mafi. But, you know, I never realized color until I moved to the United States. Sure. And, and this was a big realization because my country is made of all colors. And, and it's sad in a way, you know, that, that such a great country still has this, uh, 
this issue so present? Well, I think part of it is that we have laws uh, that actually codified behaviors in this country and structures in this country. And those laws created sort of these uh, outcomes that we're still trying to remediate. And then the implicit bias that was connected to those outcomes. So, you know, narratives form when laws produce outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so you get the narrative of sort of the lazy Black person, or you get the narrative of the, you know, all kinds of narratives that unless challenged, then actually become a part of the ways that systems make decisions. And so we've got to now really work together to understand that it's not, for example, Black uh, versus white. It's everyone versus racism. Mm-hmm. It's everyone saying that everyone should have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And while when those words were written, many of us may not have been envisioned in the writing, and not just uh, people of color, but women as well, what we do know is this, that the writing may have not included us then, but we are a country where it must include us now. Absolutely. And so I am so proud of what you're doing to really say in, in your industry that I'm going to be a beacon light, particularly for other women, so that they too can believe that success in your industry is possible, that they have to continue to press forward no matter what, because theirs are the shoulders that some other young woman is going to be able to stand on. And they're the ones whose voices have to be at the table so that we all make better decisions. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, like you, I, I uh, you know, through work and through other dealings, um, you know, I'm realizing there's so much we all can do, you know, besides the podcast. So my, on, in my industry, I was recently, well, last year I was named uh, for an FCC committee, which actually is a pretty big deal by the FCC chairman. To lead the workforce initiative, and uh, and I think you would appreciate this. And this is not a work call, but maybe we will have to have a work call. Uh, you know, telecommunications. We have a huge skill gap. Huge. Yes. We are lacking twenty thousand technicians to really bring this vision of five G and internet for all to make that a reality for the U.S. Not to fall behind. We have to train more people. And obviously, you know, the young communities, you know, the, the, the minority communities, they are, this is huge potential because these are good jobs. And mm-hmm. there's a big disconnect between, you know, unfortunately, what we have found during our research is between what the colleges and, 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 you know, higher education institutions know that we need. And what we really need, you know? You are so true. And that's why I created, when I first came to the college, a Career Skills Academy. I wanted to create shorter-term credentials with business partners such that business and industry could share with us what their needs were. We could then create these shorter-term credentials to get people into the world of work. And then we could bring them back in an educational ladder as time goes on, but we have a lot of people who can't afford enough of two years. They don't have two years to take care of their families. They don't have four years to take care of their families. Many of them are in an immediate need now. And if we partner with business and industry, 
to get them those interim credentials so that they can go out and become gainfully employed and make family supporting wages and then upskill them through the educational process. So I'll give them credit, academic credit for what they learned on the job and prior learning and things like that. But we have to be more aligned with business and industries that ultimately have what we call these middle skill jobs, that they're not necessarily the top tier job. You're not going to be an executive without an education. But there are certain things that if we train you in skills and get you into the world of work, you actually can make a living for yourself and your family and continue to grow from your educational perspective. And so we've been working, for example, in the energy space uh, in the Hudson Valley. We created a gas pipeline program where for an intensive two and a half week training, the candidates sit for the state uh, exam and then are in placed in positions that start at $50,000, $60,000. And these are people that didn't have a four-year degree. These are people that, you know, uh, maybe have only a, a GED because they weren't able for whatever reason to finish high school. We don't, we, we can't sort of penalize people for paths that, that kept them in poverty. But what we can do is give them a way out if they choose to take it. And so I'd be happy to talk with you, for example, about how we can together build academic programs and shorter term credentials that get people in the door and get them on the ladder so that they can, you know, really take advantage of of all that this great country has to offer. Absolutely. And it's very refreshing to see leaders like you because that's what we need. And, and the sense of what you mentioned, the collective action. Like, you know, I think, unfortunately, we when we go into our jobs and our industry, we work in silos. And so yes. the telecom industry doesn't look anywhere else. And then the academics, they stay there. And by nature, I'm someone that she chats everywhere. So <laughs> I start identifying these potentials, you know, and when I hear you, what I want to say, one of the things I learned through through this experience that I've been with uh, with the workforce uh, development, there's apprenticeship programs that yes. the government, there's tons of money that the Department of Labor has with pre-approved apprenticeship programs that that you know I can already connect you through that, and you have a pre-approved certification that someone can go to work and earn money while yes. they learn. And yes. so now you're really solving a problem for them and you're giving a certification that in 12 weeks, you know, you might end up with a $50,000 job. Mm -hmm. And what I tell people is telecom is telecom. Everybody loves their phones, their Netflix. And <laughs> these are jobs that are not going to go away. You might have to upskill them. You have yes. to work together with the educational institutions to, to make sure you, you stay current. But these jobs are not going to go away. You might have to transform it. So uh, there's so many opportunities that go to waste and people that could be benefiting from them and that don't even know about it. But this is the power of your platform because what you're doing even now in this conversation is to say to another partner in your universe, listen, I'm here and I want to help and there are ways that we can do it together and we can hardwire opportunities. And I wish, quite frankly, that more people were like you in that way, that they would say even to a president, listen, Dr. Baston, we have this industry need. 
Um, is there a way that we can partner so that you can actually be a partner in helping people have hope and opportunity? That's the basis of the community college is to say that we greet you at your level of preparation and get you to the goals that you have for yourself. And, and I think that critical to that is our ability to partner with business and industry. Absolutely. And really, it's the essence of uh, providing diversity and inclusion, because that's yes. the only way you ensure that you're offering a fair shot. Like these people sometimes make more money than engineers. Yes, right now, right. Yeah. a tower climber, you know, is one of the most sought after uh, technician. And, uh, you know, we know with electricians, we know with some of the trades you know, that if, and people don't know it. So yeah, I become very passionate about, you know, also let the young people know about this. Yes. So I think parents, I, I wrote a blog a while back about how as parents, we also have a responsibility because sure, a university degree is great, but you also have to be realistic of what expectation you're planting. You want to plant the best seed and try to shoot for the stars. But at the same time, sometimes I think parents handicap their kids and maybe you can give us more, you know, your opinion. But I, I'm sure you see plenty of these where maybe you are you're setting the bar way too high. And maybe if you set it at that different kind of career path, maybe they get there anyway. But but it's more manageable for them. Well, I think part of it is sort of not recognizing that many of our families don't recognize that the economic uh, sort of space is hitting a reset button and partly in light of COVID, but lots of other reasons. So whereas many people would say when a student graduates high school and you're going to your barbecues in the summer and you say, you know, I want to be able to say my son is going to a marquee name. Well, guess what? You're also paying marquee prices. You're also going to have marquee debt. And that same youngster who would many generations ago be able to get a job and get their own place is going to come back to the bedroom you thought you converted for your office. Absolutely. And they are going to be back there with a degree, driving Uber and basically waiting tables because we're not actually thinking about helping students put purpose first. What are the things that you desire uh, in terms of your life? What are you good at? What are the things that are going to actually enable you to be the best version of yourself? If we start with that level of inquiry with them, we would find that many more students, if they started at a community college and went through our career exploration process, they could get on a path that leads them to the kind of future that you envision for them, but ultimately doesn't always materialize these days. We have a lot of young people that go away to marquee colleges with marquee debt, and they come home and they're unemployed or underemployed and debt-laden. And so what is happening, and I think you're probably seeing it all over, what's happening is that people are ha having, getting married much later, having children much later, if at all. They're becoming renters instead of owners. They're not able to stay in, in, in the communities which they grew up to, to create a, a revitalized community because we've created a structure that allows us to pass the, the debt mindset to young people, and then we rescue them, and ultimately you have sort of this drag 
on the growth of, of, of our, our communities. And so what I'm saying to people is, listen, if your young person got a credits uh, while they were in high school from the local community college because they were trying to, you know, gain some credits for college. Don't just gain those credits. If they were good enough to take your college credits in high school, get as much of your college degree as you can while you're in high school through our dual enrollment programs. Get, get that two-year degree where you're able to actually go through the career exploration process in those two years. Don't change majors seven or eight times, racking up debt, racking up courses that ultimately you're not going to use because you couldn't make up your mind because there was no structure. So it's it's sort of the message that I have to all of our parents in the community is to, to reset your thinking about what a community college can do and what it is doing. Um, almost half of the undergraduates in the country today have some community college experience. And more and more are understanding that this is a strategic choice that they're making. Well, I think uh, that uh, I'm sold. I'm sold on you being president. I'm sold on the com- <laughs> your community college and the work you're doing. And I really think that this is truly important work. It's a unique moment. I always say this. We are living unprecedented times. And that reset that you speak about, it's crucial. Like as parents, as community, as uh, business owners, as teachers, we need to all uh, have that reset because at times are rough, but at the same time, they also present unprecedented opportunities, something that we never have experienced. Like my, my son, he took a break from soccer, right? Because he was being bullied a little bit and said, let's just get, get you out. And, and he was dealing with that. And now I, the other day I say, you know what, Christian, you got lucky because all these kids are not going to soccer anyway. So it's not like you're falling behind. Now you took mm-hmm. a break. <laughs> when you go back, <laughs> you don't even have to catch up. You know, sometimes you just have to do the hard, make the hard decision and then see where you are when, when the time comes to, to, to start again. So true. And I think the other piece that is important is that reset is happening in every industry. Mm-hmm. There was a time when we never thought that Zoom mm-hmm. would be a job. But there are those now who actually are managing Zoom broadcasts and, and, and sort of WebEx broadcasts. And that is a full-time position. Video editors, full-time positions. Because COVID now has put us more in this teleworking uh, experience. And so a whole industry has now come up with virtual events. We got to understand that this is a time of unprecedented opportunities. And we got to prepare people for those opportunities because the reset will continue for some time to come. Absolutely. And that's why the telecom industry is stressed out because we have now all this influx of extra, you know, yeah. all these, the networks are there, but they weren't built for this. And so right now it's, uh, we are on, on steroids. Basically the industry has to catch up and, and make sure that every kid in, in, in the U.S. at least has, you know, internet. There's 9 million people that have non-reliable connections and they have to, to go through online learning and 14% don't even have an internet connection. So that is definitely something that in a country like ours, it, it shouldn't be. And, and we need to fix it. So this brings me back to 
obviously you're passionate about what you what you do. One question I ask people, it's about how do you stay connected? Like in the times where you had despair, when you had when things are not going good, we all have those those dates. Is there anything in particular that you use to reconnect to your essence? Like, ah, this is what I do and this is what I love doing and this is what makes me tick. Well, I guess one of the things that's so important to me is sort of having my prayer time. Uh, because for me, prayer is very important. That helps me a lot. I also like to laugh. So I'll watch YouTube videos of funny things that happen, uh, you know, that would enable me to kind of lift my spirits mm -hmm. as well. I think you have to find hope in so many different ways. You know, hope is in the, uh, you know, telephone call that I can have, uh, the video conference that I can have with my father. Uh, my father's in a different state than I'm in. Uh, but I can actually video call him and then get my brother on the video call and the three of us can talk and laugh and, and things of that nature, you know, and just knowing that there are ways to remind yourself of who you really are, to remind yourself not what you do, but who you are. In those calls with my brother and my father, I'm not Dr. Baston, I'm not President Baston, I'm not uh, Attorney Baston, I am Michael. And remembering who you are with people who love you and who love who you are is critical in this time. Picking up the phone and calling that loved one that you haven't talked to in some time, recognizing particularly that this year many of us won't be able to gather around the table for Thanksgiving as we have in the past. But find those people who help you remember who you really are. That helps you get through difficult days like this. Well, that's amazing. And and honestly, you just, uh, the inspiration you just gave me is, I never met you before. So I cannot say you are one of those people that remind me who you are, who I am, but you are a person that right now reminded me what makes me tick. It's to have these kind of conversations where you can, coincide, you know, in the, in, in the work front. And, and now I'm excited to say, oh my God, we can maybe put some kids, you know, to work in the telecom industry and we can create a program and then, and, and, and then your inspiration and that you're not af afraid of saying, you know, prayer is something that I, I go to. Some people don't like to share that. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I need my prayer, my, my me moment to, as a reflection point, you know, of, right. of what has happened. And so this kind of inspiring conversations is really uh, everything I dream of that this podcast would be. So I really thank you so much for, for being here. I'm so happy to be with you. And you're just such a bright light. And I believe that more and more people will benefit from what you're sharing. You're trying to really lift our consciousness and our spirits. And I really appreciate you for that. Oh, thank you so much. And well, I cannot close the interview without uh, giving you a chance. Do you want to share anything that RCC is doing that excites you? Anything up and coming that you want to share? 
Well, critically, we are preparing for that spring semester. So anyone that's really interested in getting into uh, our educational programs, that spring semester, we'll be opening up registration in November. Remember that we don't just have uh, the two-year programs. We also have shorter-term credentials through our Career Skills Academy, and we also have an English Skills Academy. So for those who really want to get a, a better handle of sort of developing quality English skills. We work with those students as well because we believe we are a Hispanic serving institution mm -hmm. designated by the federal government. So we actually are doing a lot of programs uh, because we want to make sure that everyone in our community and, and there's a growing community, uh, Latinx community in the Hudson Valley. You know, we want to make sure that that folks have as best a chance as possible to make the most of their lives, to make the most of their opportunities in this country. And we want to be sure that we are producing not only uh, productive workers, but also engaged citizens. So if you're interested in a quality education at a price you can afford, Rockland Community College is really the place to be. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Baston. Congratulations again on such a great job for being an inspiring leader. And I definitely look forward to uh, following what RCC is doing and what you are doing. And I will have to become a citizen of the United States to vote for you when you run. <laughs> I'm not a citizen, okay? Let's make, let's make that. Uh, I've been a resident for 24 years. And, uh, but if you run, I'll, I'll, I'll just make sure I can vote. <laughs> you, you are awesome. And I'm looking forward to partnering with you and the telecommunications industry to help even more people become everything they were meant to be. That's our action item. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye now. And until the next time. <laughs>